Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson. And I'm Kathleen Shannon. I'm Shawanda Mason-Moore, and I'm Being Boss. In this episode, we're talking about nonprofits and for-purpose organizations with Shawanda Mason-Moore. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't quite made the leap to working for yourself, there's a good chance that your idea of how challenging it will be to be your own boss won't exactly match up with the reality of how challenging it's actually going to be. Now, this is not an attempt to talk you out of it. In fact, it is the exact opposite because there is so much amazing help available. You've just got to know where to look. Our friends at FreshBooks make ridiculously easy cloud accounting for small businesses and have helped millions of folks just like you make the brave leap to being their own bosses. Using FreshBooks is kind of like having your own administrative assistant who's got your back 24-7. So you can set automatic late payment reminders and you can have FreshBooks do the chasing. So goodbye awkward money conversations. And with the new proposal feature, you can create a living professional document for your project and have your client sign online so you can get to work faster. It is so incredibly legit. To see how FreshBooks can support you in your quest for becoming boss, we want to offer our listeners an unrestricted 30-day free trial. Just go to freshbooks.com slash being boss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section. Shawanda Mason-Moore is a communications specialist and freelance writer who partners with businesses and lifestyle brands to increase their digital presence using unique communications and digital marketing strategies. In 2010, Shawanda created the food-inspired lifestyle site Eat, Drink, Frolic and has landed coverage in print and digital publications like Food 52, CityScope Magazine, and USA Today. In 2014, she co-founded the educational nonprofit The Chattery and currently serves as the creative director. When she's not writing or testing recipes, you can usually find her watching reruns of The Golden Girls. Shawanda, I'm so glad that you have come to chat with us today. I'm excited to dive in with you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. All right, Shawanda, tell us a little bit about the work that you do and maybe your journey to get there. Like, What led you to doing what you're doing today? Okay, so um, I feel like I do all the things. Um, But so in addition, I I co-founded a a nonprofit here in Chattanooga called The Chattery. um, And I currently run a food and lifestyle blog called Eat, Drink, Frolic, which I've had for uh, eight years. Um, It feels like 10 years sometimes. Um, And so my journey to get here was like many paths. It was not straight. Um, so I grew up in Virginia, went to college in Northern Virginia, D.C. area, George Mason University, and thought that I was going to be an attorney. And with that, I was also going to be a U.S. senator. And so I um, started George Mason and studied government and international politics. And that wasn't enough. So then I got a concentration in Spanish and public policy. And after taking some classes and finishing college, I realized that uh, this is not at all what I wanted to do. 
So I called my parents and said, hey, I'm moving to Atlanta and I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to intern at some PR places. And they were like, okay, cool. Um, so that's what I did. I, after college, I moved to Atlanta and started working in marketing and communications um, and sort of began my journey of working in communications and really loving like PR and writing. And that's sort of how I started the blog and how I sort of ended up in Chattanooga. Um, I was dating a boy who is now my husband and he's born and raised in Chattanooga. And I got a job here within six months of us dating and communications. Um, and so here I am in Chattanooga. All right. How did you know that public policy wasn't for you? Like whenever you set out on this path, yeah. we get this question a lot. Like, how do you know that it's not for you? And at that point, you do kind of have some sunk costs with right. all that time right. and energy and money that went into some really good intense right. schooling. <laughs> and then beyond that, how did you decide PR? Like, tell us a little bit about that transition. Yeah. So I think it's... You you have to listen to your gut, which is something that now that I'm in my 30s, I'm still trying to tell myself to do. But I think even as a 20-something, I knew that that was not the right path for me. But I had been conditioned to think that you go to school, you become a lawyer or a doctor or something of that nature, and you make it work. And so for the longest time, I was actually afraid to tell my parents that I did want to go to law school, but my parents are like super cool about it. They're like, as long as you are doing something legal, like we do not care. Like, that's great. <laughs> as long as you're happy. Um, so I think, I think I knew when I picked up a concentration in public policy in Spanish, I already knew that I probably shouldn't have been going down that path. Um, so I picked up an additional concentration only to further, you know, get into the whole of college and stuff. Um, but when I moved, my best friend went to college in Atlanta and I was always drawn to the city. And when I moved there, I was into, I've always loved like events and planning events and just the marketing of it all. And so I said, I'm just going to try out PR. Like I've heard about public relations. Um, at the time there was no social media. So, um, I mean, it was like traditional marketing, like, writing press releases, picking up the phones to do pitches, um, which is almost non-existent at this point. Um, and so I don't know, I was really looking for to get into a career that was fun. And so PR sounded fun. And so that's how I kind of found my way into that. And how did you go from working in PR to doing Eat, Drink, Frolic? And then into the chattery. Like, let's go down that path. A okay. Bit. Let's see. See, this is what I mean when I say it wasn't a straight path at all. So I love events, love planning things. I also like to entertain. And I thought, how can I continue this path of wanting to entertain, but also show people what I'm doing? And so I got a blog spot. And paid my $10 and got eatdrinkfrolic.com and just used that sort of as a platform to show like recipes and stuff. I had no idea what I was doing. My very first blog post is still up on my blog. It is literally the worst <laughs> blog post I've ever seen. The photo is so bad. I'm embarrassed, but like I leave it up there just to like show growth, you know, eight years later. 
but um, I've always just loved entertaining and cooking. And um, that's sort of how I started with Eat, Drink, Frolic. While living in Atlanta, um, I worked for a really large hair salon for about five years. And after I left that company, I worked for a nonprofit um, in Atlanta. And so that was sort of my first taste into the nonprofit world and what what it's like, what we do, having a mission-based you know, business and working with a board. And when I moved to Chattanooga, I got another job at a nonprofit. Then when I left that job, I got another job at a nonprofit. And so I've sort of just been sucked into this nonprofit world for some odd reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then tell us about the Chattery and what is the mission there? Yeah. So the Chattery is a nonprofit organization here in Chattanooga that focuses on fun, affordable, and accessible education for adults. So we really, um, we provide classes that fuel both right and left brain learning. So you'll see a lot of classes like cocktails or calligraphy on our roster, but you'll also see some self-help classes. Today, we have the second part in a branding series this afternoon. Uh, yeah, this afternoon. And then later tonight, we have a puppy training class. So it's really just like all the things. Um, our, our broad mission is to enhance our community through learning, um, which is, is really broad and a little indirect, but really we're just taking these learning experiences and allowing people to socialize, but also learn. Um, A lot of our teachers are small business owners, so they get to learn about a different business in town and really just have fun with learning. And I love that when I love that you're doing this and I love watching you do it. Um, because, and I guess we need to set this up. Shawanda and I know each other yes. a bit. We were just talking about how we ran into each other at a restaurant recently, a new place that we were both trying out. Um, so I love watching you do the chattery. I love seeing the wide array of classes that you guys put out. And I love the mission. And I love this idea that you are blending some things that aren't always blended together in this way. Right. It's community and collaboration and education and a whole lot of fun. Yeah. So... I want to know how it is that you make all of that work together because it seems to be working. Yeah, um, it is working. We're almost five years in, which is crazy. Um, I can't believe it. Um, But I think we make it work because my business partner and I, Jennifer, we, we know our goals going in. Like we know that we want everything that we do, no matter what it is, even if it's a you know, a quote unquote boring class, we want it to be fun. And whether that's on the marketing end of it, or whether, you know, whether that means inside the classroom, we want it to be fun. And we want people to obviously come out and have learned something. Um, But collaboration is one of our values. So we've also set intentions with values as a company and as friends. Um, But one of our values is fun and collaborative. And so I think we're changing to what collaboration looks like. Um, You know, collaborations don't always work. One partner is always, you know, doing more work than the other. But I think we've really found a sweet spot in how collaborations can work. Um, And I think we found a really cool way to work with a lot of for-profit businesses in town, too, by giving them a platform to teach about something that they're passionate about or that they're working on. Um, And also they can advertise with us, too, by sponsoring classes. 
That's always the piece that I find most intriguing about what you guys do is that collaboration piece and how you guys are in a lot of ways redefining how you can collaborate either with a nonprofit or a for-profit business yeah. this way that, or you guys are really thinking outside the box in terms of how people can get together for a common goal. And I love that, especially in Chattanooga, that is education and community, right. two things that since I've lived here have always felt could be a little better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we see that too, which is why we continue to do what we do, even though we are very tired. Um, but <laughs> it is fun. Um, and there's a social impact to what we do. I mean, I think we get caught up in always talking about the money. And even though we are a nonprofit, we still need to make money. Um, but there's also a social impact to what we're doing at the Chattery, which I think sometimes gets overlooked. Um, I always use the example, our very, very first class in 2014 was a terrarium class, make a mason jar terrarium class. And there's a young lady who's in the class. We did not know her at all. Um, someone from the newspaper like took a photo or something. And that, that lady is now on our board of directors and has become a friend. So like there's a social impact to what we're doing too. And we were at an event yesterday and we're just talking about disruptors. And I think that's starting to become a buzzword, but I like it for the time being, but we're disrupting what socializing looks like. Like you don't have to go to a happy hour, even though truth be told, that is one of our values is whiskey. <laughs> um, I'll be very honest about that. Um, we do enjoy a happy hour or two, but we're changing what it means to like go out and socialize. Like you can come to a chattery class and, you know, drink a glass of wine and still learn how to crochet or learn about Excel or whatever it is. So I have to ask you why it is that you chose to do a nonprofit or a not for profit. Is yeah. there like a right way? Is it nonprofit or not for profit? I say nonprofit. I don't know. <laughs> Here's where I have to admit like, I don't even understand what a nonprofit is. Like, on a surface <laughs> level, I'm like, okay, yeah, nonprofit. Like, you know, you get, you have an image of what that means, but whenever it comes down to the nitty gritty, I don't actually think I understand the structure of a nonprofit. And I think that whenever you say that, you assume nobody's getting paid. Right. That, how, how would that work? Like, surely there's someone at the Heart Association, like right. the American Heart Association, like getting paid, you know? So can you explain it to us? Yeah. So the easiest way that I can think to explain it is that a nonprofit so our, the, the events, the classes that we do, money is not our primary reason for doing it. Not to say that, I mean, a for-profit, like they're only thinking about money, but they want to make money. And so obviously we do too, but our main goal is not, um, if we choose to do a calligraphy class, we're not doing it because we may be able to make a few hundred bucks off of it. We're doing it because of the social impact. We're doing it because this teacher is a small business owner and we are paying our teachers. Um, so that's sort of like the surface easy levels that the things that we do aren't driven by money. Um, but that is, you know, you bring up a good point. It's a common misconception with nonprofits that we don't want to make money and like poor us, like these little charities. And that is not true. So um, in order to keep the lights on and pay rent and do things, we have to make money. And so I've started using the term for purpose. Um, 
we are a for purpose business in the sense that, like, yes, legally we are a nonprofit, but we have a purpose to everything that we do. But we also have an intentional revenue model. So we're not out here just being like, give us donations and like give us free things. Yes, people do donate to the chattery, but we do have an intentional revenue model and a structure and a budget and and things like that. We do want to make money. We do want to make money not only to support ourselves, but also to support the community that we're trying to create. So, And then how do you decide between, coming back to Emily's question, a nonprofit and a business? At any point where you're like, well, let's make this a business or let's make this a nonprofit. And that's probably because I know a lot of our listeners are business owners that are probably feeling more for purpose, but don't have that nonprofit structure. So how did you make that decision? Yeah, it was not an easy decision. So I've mentioned Jennifer, my business partner before, and we, along with another friend, um, I mean, we went back and forth about this nonprofit for a profit thing for a long time. It was not a decision that was easy. I think we disagreed. We agreed. Um, but essentially when we started, when we started this business, we started it with a hundred dollars from Jennifer's parents. And we knew that some of the, the, the businesses that existed that we were modeling the chattery out of, they were for profit businesses. So we thought, what does it look like if we do this as a nonprofit organization? Like, what does that mean for us? Let's try it out before committing. So um, one thing I will say, if there are people listening that are thinking about starting a nonprofit, you can get a fiscal sponsor so that you don't have to go through all the legalities of setting up your own nonprofit. And so that's what we did. Um, with that $100, we set up a fund at our local community foundation. And so that gave us the benefits of being a nonprofit without having to file on our own. And so we didn't get any money from them, but anytime we needed to pay a teacher back for supplies or do whatever, it went through the community foundation. And so we sort of got a taste of what it looked like to um, run a nonprofit. Um, When our fund was over with them, that's when we had to make a decision. Are we going to continue as a nonprofit or are we going to be a for-profit? And part of that decision, I'll be completely honest, was just based on necessity we decided to continue operating as a nonprofit because the money that we had made thus far, if we went and decided to go the for-profit route, we would have sort of given up the money that we had in the bank account. So um, we went ahead and said, let's keep pushing. We'll do this as a nonprofit. And we filed and went through the IRS. And here we are. I also imagine that there are some perception differences being a nonprofit mm-hmm. in that if you are going to someone to sponsor a space or an event, it's probably a lot easier to have that conversation with them as a nonprofit than it would be as a for-profit. Do you find that to be to be true? Yes and no. I say yes because some people, again, have that mentality of, oh, you're a nonprofit, poor you, so let me help you. Right. Mm -hmm. But we are competing against other nonprofits that are like saving kittens and children and homelessness. You know what I mean? And like those nonprofits are great. And Jennifer and I just had a discussion recently where we're like, we've got to stop comparing ourselves to these other great nonprofits Um, because trying to sell, you know, our target audience, I mean, it's adults. And so we're selling enjoyable adult education and people are like, well, why do I need to take a calligraphy class at 5:30?" And so it, so to answer your question is yes and no. Sometimes people are like, yeah, you're a nonprofit. Great. Let's help you out. But other times they're like, so what do you do? Like, are you 
endings? Are you curing cancer? And we're like, nope, we just feel like adults should have fun. Um, but we're creating empathy through this process too. I mean, we've learned that like, you know, when you step into a classroom, everyone's on the same playing field. We're all admitting that we lack knowledge of some, some sort. So, um, being able to learn from your neighbors, learn from your friends, create some type of, you know, it creates empathy, which I think we can use a lot of these days. And I also have to throw in there too, especially around education. I think one of the things that this is a whole other can of worms. <laughs> one of the things that I think is wrong with education as a whole is even a lot of the not nonprofit parts mm-hmm. of it are actually being run as for profit organizations. Right. And right. I think that's one of the things that's wrong with education as a whole. So I do love this idea of you looking at this education platform that you're building, not as a for-profit organization, but one where it has a social cause. And it may not be, you know, curing heart disease or anything, but you're giving people the ability to live more fulfilled lives and they may go out and cure heart disease right (laughs) okay but i have some logistical questions okay i I just really don't know so (laughs) at the end of the year let's say emily and i have ten thousand dollars in the bank of profit like we're paying taxes on that profit or we're like hey let's give ourselves a bonus we're only answering to each other for you. Like, do you have a board of directors that are, have creative control? Do you, what do you do with that $10,000 in the bank? Like yeah, what's happening there as far as the difference between a business and a nonprofit? Yeah, we do have a board of directors um, and they act as our advisors. They're super supportive and they of course give us advice and suggestions for things, but they know that Jennifer and I are sort of, this is our baby and they trust us, which is great. Um, so, and, and we work with one of our board members is an accountant specifically for nonprofits. So she's been very helpful as have, um, our attorney, which has been nice. Everyone. Okay. Please. I have another yeah. question. Yeah, yeah. Do your board of directors get paid? They do not. Or- in in general, do board of directors not get paid? Like if you're invited to be on the board of a nonprofit, can mm-hmm. you expect that you're not being paid for that, right? I mean, I'm in my experience, I have not been paid to be on a board. And if I was supposed to, I'm going to be very upset about that. <laughs> 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 but no, we do not pay our board members. Um, yeah, they're just enthusiastic volunteers. Which I love. I love that about it. I just really didn't know. Yeah. Okay. Nope. They do not get paid. Um, They are just, they, I mean, they do a lot. They help cover classes sometimes. I mean, our attorney will look over paperwork for us. Our accountant will help us with um, budget questions and yeah. So. And then how much do you expect them to work? Like, do you communicate boundaries there as far as how much they can contribute? And are you hand selecting this board of members? So initially, Jennifer and I, we were hand selecting our board members. Um, after a, a few years of doing that, we've learned our lesson. Um, so again, to listeners that are, you know, that want to have a nonprofit, what we did is with within the board that we had already committed, uh, had, we had a small committee that we said, you guys are in charge of getting new board members. Um, whenever it's time to get new board members, you all like vet them, like we can give them names for suggestions, but it is now 
their responsibility because what we were finding is we were finding people that we know, and that's great to have people that you know on your team, but no, no one was getting shit done. And so it was very, very tough. Um, so for our sanity, we were like, we need people to actually act for us. We trust them. You guys sort of go and vet people and we will say, the board will say yes or no. But we, we learned that lesson the hard way. Okay. And then the other question was, oh yeah, how do you communicate what their roles are and how much they're yeah. expected to contribute or not? So prior, when we have meetings with potential board meet, uh, members, this was before Jennifer and I decided to take our um, hats, take our names out of the ring for that. We tell them straight up, this is how many meetings we have a year. We normally do this many classes. Um, it's just the two of us. So we need help covering classes sometimes. We're really open and honest about it. And I don't, I, I don't think that, I'm not sure that we were always very open and honest about how much help we needed, but now we are as we do, you know, anywhere from five to seven classes a week. We are very open about sometimes we need someone to cover a class so we can go and work on a grant or so we can go to this other event. Um, we only meet with our board four times a year, which each to each organization, you can do whatever you want. I'm on a board now and we meet once a month, but for us, we meet quarterly. And in between those meetings, I send a board email. In fact, I just sent one right before this call. Um, so because we only see each other four times a year, I try to like just send a quick email in between like what we're up to. We're in the midst of trying to find a new space for our um, classroom. And so I sent an email about that and needing some guidance for our next meeting. So we, I, I'm, I'm also acting as I'm co-founder, but also board chair. And so I'm trying to do a better job of communicating with them, especially when we need help. I also love that you're on other boards because I imagine if I was running a nonprofit and as the founder, maybe pulling a salary in mm -hmm. order to bring this to the world, but then having a board that was volunteering, I don't know, like, do you ever <laughs> feel like, oh, I mean, I even have felt that way before about being a creative entrepreneur who's saying working for yourself is the best thing ever. Right. I mean, I don't ever actually say that, <laughs> but then having employees, like if I'm running a podcast called Being Boss, telling everyone right. to work for yourselves and right. then I have employees, sometimes you feel like, well, why would you want to? work for me whenever you could work for yourself. Right. Anyway, all that to say, like those kinds of feelings. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> we have a lot of feelings too. Jennifer and I- I hope I I'm not like picking at any scabs. <laughs> no, we have a lot of feelings. <laughs> I mean, we just hired an intern to help us and she's only been with us for like a week and she's been great. But that was also part of our angst too. I mean, we're too- bossy ladies like running a business and trying to like figure out life and you know years ago you know when we would try to look for an intern we knew that we didn't have a budget to pay them and so really it really just we just never asked for help because we were like well we have to pay people to work you know what I mean I think that's also right. another problem that we have when we ask for interns and you, you want them to work 40 hours a week, but you pay them $0. And so now we're finally like, we can hire an intern. Um, and we might even take on another one soon. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of angst and opinions about stuff. Right. I'm feeling like there is probably 
ingrained in the structure, a very large mindset shift around money in all kinds of ways and how it is that you ask for it and what it is that you do with it and what it is that other people are expecting you to do with it. But I wonder if the challenge is actually keeping the same mindset in a lot of ways as running a for-profit business Mm -hmm. just in a non-profit model. Right. Is that something that you find to be true or am I just trying to make everything for profit? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, there are definitely elements to a for-profit business that we are using in our um, business structure. I think that's another thing. I'm bringing up the word disruptor again, but I think Jennifer and I are really challenging and disrupting what a traditional nonprofit looks like. Um, We don't have the boring box lunch, you know, fundraisers. I mean, our fundraisers look like an adult Easter egg hunt, which we did earlier this year for the first time. Like that was a fundraiser. And so we're really challenging, especially what a nonprofit looks like here in the lovely state of Tennessee. Um, we don't look like, you know, a traditional nonprofit and that's okay with us. Um, that just means we have to do a lot more explaining about what we do and what our mission is and why we do it, but it's okay. I mean, we're almost five years in and so we're used to people not completely understanding, but again, I think we are really disrupting what a nonprofit looks like and, and, and being very open and honest about, yes, we are a nonprofit, but that does not mean that we do not ever want to make money, you know, we're so, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, um, I think it really does come down to positioning and really positioning yourself as an asset to the community that people really want to invest in. And it sounds like the work that you're doing is making Chattanooga a more fun, vibrant place where you can do some things and it's not super duper expensive. Right. really informing people on that purpose, I think can go a really long way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now people are starting to see the value in what we do and how we do it and how intentional we are when we do it. We've, um, you know, started doing some like consulting or, you know, event management for other nonprofits in town that um, have seen what we've done and want to work with Jennifer and I on their program. So that's something that we're starting to incorporate into our structure, too, is helping other nonprofits, um, you know, build a robust, you know, whether it's classes or events, whatever it is, we don't run a monopoly on classes here. There are tons of other organizations and businesses in town that host classes, and that's great. Um, And some of them come to us and say, hey, will you help us? Can we hire you to like market our classes for us? And so as long as it aligns, somehow aligns with our mission, we'll say yes. If we have any gut feeling about it, we will say no. But um, there, there are other nonprofit organizations in town that have asked us to sort of just, will you partner with us and help us market our classes? And so we've done that too. We just want the entire community to learn, whether that's through the chattery or not. Um, Yeah. So I have another question. Let's say, I'm thinking about the money side of things. I can't help but go there because I think that whenever a creative thinks about starting a business, I mean, maybe this is an opportunity for so many of our listeners whenever we think about business and 
ways of doing it. And all of our listeners seem to be so purpose-driven. Maybe a nonprofit structure would be right for you. But my question here is, let's say you're working with a sponsor. Let's say it's like AT&T, someone with a ton of money. And you're like, hey, I'm hosting a class. Would you like to donate? And and you kind of know in your mind that you need Mm $10,000 to run the event. And they're like, yeah, we'll cut you a check for thirty. You know, do you just take the 30 or are you like, actually, we only just need 10? I mean, how does that work within that structure? Do you know what I mean? Because like I'd want to take the th- this is like a dream case scenario to have to like turn down 20 grand. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could take the 30 and just do more, more classes with it. So maybe the initial programming we only need at 10,000, but now that AT&T, which I'm going to manifest this, now that, it, now that AT&T has given us 30, we can do that same class or that same series, you know, two additional times. So I don't think it's a, we say no, we say, great, thank you. We'll do more with your money or we'll, you know, we'll put your name on like the window of our building for a moment or something. And see, this is actually a mindset, even if you're not running a nonprofit, that you could maybe have for building a business, mm-hmm. which is if you get a fat paycheck one way or another, a certain month, think about what your expenses are and mm-hmm. what you kind of need. Right. Stop it there and then invest the back into the business. Right. So you're investing the rest of it back into the business by right. running more classes. For yes. a creative entrepreneur, that might look a little bit different. So do you find that that's what you end up doing if you have extra is that you're running out more programming? Yeah, we're running out more programming and like I mentioned, we're almost five years in. So we're at this awkward moment where we're trying to figure out what it, what life means. Like, what does it, what does life mean for the chattering? Small things. What like are that. we doing? Um, but also what, what does the lifespan of the chattery look like beyond classes? So does that mean we do a few more events? I mean, that is in our initial mission, you know, when we set up the business, we mentioned events. Um, so like we're just trying to figure out all the things. And part of that is making a plan to consistently pay the two co-founders because entrepreneurship is fun and it's really cute. However, <laughs> it is also very hard, which is why Jennifer and I also, we do some part-time work just because we have to. Uh, I'm glad that you're sharing this, though, because I think that someone might be like, well, hell yeah, I'm going to do a nonprofit and get a board and get some yeah. sponsors. <laughs> but it doesn't quite work that way. No. So what is your what is your side hustle? Um, so I, in addition to the blog, I do get some money from the blog and working doing some content um, marketing. I work for a nonprofit in town called Causeway. And two and a half days a week, I do some communication strategies for them. So helping them with social media or writing press releases, um, whatever it is that they need, helping with events. Um, And I've been doing that for about a year. But Jennifer just recently left her full-time job, and she's now working part-time because we wanted to give more attention to the chattery. And it has proven to be difficult for both of us to be working part-time and focusing on the chattery. So now we're re-strategizing and hopefully 2019, we are going to make some, some changes. Which is the first, I'm saying that out loud. Good. (laughs) 
Good. Please do. <laughs> Kathleen and I often find that things said out loud on this podcast typically come to fruition for better or worse. Yes. <laughs> for sure. Um, I do have to say that I do love this idea of you guys doing more, I guess, B to B, that would be mm-hmm. NP to NP mm-hmm. or NP to B or <laughs> however you want to do that, like this idea of it not just being to sort of that end consumer, right. but it being to other organizations. Because I even think that there would be more cash available in those sorts of scenarios as well. Oh, yeah. If you guys have the structure and the reputation and all of those things, like I would love to see some more of those things as like a local yeah. local person who likes to have fun and learn at the same time. Right. Yeah. We we definitely have a lot of um there's a lot of possibility and a lot of ideas that we have is just trying to manage those ideas while running a business. Um apparently it's not that it's not super easy. So we are trying <laughs> We, right? sh- we shall see. <laughs> I don't know if you two know anything about that, but <laughs> a thing or two, a thing or two. But it, it's it's also been nice to have a partner in crime with all of this. I could not imagine doing any of this alone. Um, and so Jennifer and I, my husband calls her my sister wife, and so she is my sister wife, but also my business partner. And it definitely makes the the journey a little bit easier having her. All right. I want to know what some of your biggest struggles are apart from paying your bills <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> with the that's, chattery. That's number one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what, I mean, again, it's, we live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is not a huge city, but there's a ton of nonprofits here. And so we are... Everyone here has a cause. Everyone here them. has a cause. <laughs> yes. Um, and everyone's asking for money. So one of the biggest str- struggles is getting our story out there and getting it out there better, like bigger and better. Like people, you know, I meet people and they're like, oh yeah, I've heard of the Chattery. Or people will come up to us. There's a local magazine here called Chatter Magazine. People are like, oh, you need to do this for your magazine. And we're like, we're not, it's not the, not the same. Oh, um, no. So we're still like <laughs> battling that. I think so that's my struggle is just want as a communications person, like wanting to get our story out there. Um, one of the things that our board a couple of years ago told us that they noticed was that the way we were marketing our business did not reflect our personalities because we were boxing ourselves in by thinking that we needed to be like this traditional nonprofit and like we accept donations and da 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 da. And finally, when they said that, we were like, man, damn right. Like we need to like show our personalities through this. And so by doing that, we're having more fun. Um, but it is still a struggle for me to be able to like want to get our story out there. And the fact, you know, Jennifer used to be my property manager. Like that's how we met. And so um, that's sort of where I am. That and always having enough money. Wait, so coming back to your story, what is the story? Yeah. So moved to Chattanooga 2012 and um, I was looking for a place to live and I found an ad for somewhere on Craigslist and (laughs) John, the boyfriend was like, I'm going to go with you in case you get murdered. And I was like, okay, cool. 
So we went and Jennifer was one of the people that was showing me around and we giggled and stuff and sent emails back and forth. And when I finally went to go sign my lease, we sort of like looked at each other and we're like, oh, we should be friends, maybe. Um, And I tell the story anytime that Jennifer and I do talk together that I invited her to a party that I had at my house. It was a theme party of sequins and bow ties for the holidays. And she did not show up. She ghosted me. She says that she had on sequence and she was planning on coming, but something happened. And- it better have been diarrhea. <laughs> it better have been diarrhea or vomiting. I think they were on, I think she and her friends were on a Santa pub crawl. So I don't know. <laughs> it might have been both of them. It might have been both. Um, I decided to forgive her, even though I'm never going to let her live it down. And um, yeah, so she was my property manager for a couple of years. And that's when, you know, we became super close. She approached me with this idea and I said yes. And we spent like a year planning the chattery, a very long year planning the chattery. Did not happen overnight and then decided to move forward. That's a good point. Do you feel like starting a nonprofit deciding on that structure is part of why it took a year because in our world we can have an idea build a website and launch it tomorrow yeah I think part of it Jennifer and I are a lot alike in a a ton of ways and one of those ways is planning things so probably could have taken less than a year to be completely honest with you it really could have taken less than a year but we really planned out every aspect of this business because Chattanooga has a ton of nonprofits. Here's a new one. This one's all about fun, learning. And we really wanted to make sure that we were doing it right. And we then, in addition to planning all of this, we went through a name change before we had even launched. So the name of the chattery had changed. And then we toyed with this. And then we had to e- we emailed. I mean, it was a whole situation. And then we went back to the, the name, the chattery, like literally talking about insanity. That That was us. Um, but we, we made it and we're still friends. So. <laughs> High five. So maybe apart from making a new bestie. Yes. Um, what have you found most rewarding from doing all of this? Yeah, I think again, the social impact has been really, really cool to watch. I've loved not only the relationships that I've made because, um, of running the chattery, but just of other people. Um, we've seen, You know, some of our students that come become friends with the teachers. We've also seen some of our teachers get clients or business from it. And that's what I love the most because, yes, we're hosting classes and some of them may seem, you know, like a frilly little calligraphy class. But I love when I see that our, you know, financial planning planning teacher got a financial, you know, client because she taught during our adulting summer camp. I love seeing those things because yes, there's a social aspect, but there's also a financial aspect and a financial benefit too as a small business owner. And so we say that we've essentially positioned ourselves to become a secondary marketing platform for a lot of these small businesses in town who decide to teach classes with the Chattery. Um, that's not the reason why people come and teach a class, but if they happen to get a client or a new customer out of it, it's great for them and it's great for us. And it makes my little heart very, very happy. Good. I think that that social impact 
it's something that I know a lot of creative entrepreneurs want to do with their business. Yeah. And so I can only imagine the kind of fulfillment you get from that being the business. Yeah. That being sort of the purpose of the entire organization. Right. Is it being this very you know, non-monetary based fulfillment that's about creating some kind of change. Right. Yeah. And it's great too, because we get to do it through events. Like I mentioned, we both have, you know, event planning backgrounds and we get to host these fun events, but they also at the core, they have a purpose to them. Earlier this year, we did a card making social because it was national, like make a card a friend, like make a friend a card day or something like I don't know something super random so we were like let's have a card making social so we got all these crafts and like had all these ladies came and made cards but we asked them to make an additional card because we sent them to a local nonprofit um here in Chattanooga called Welcome Home Chattanooga or Welcome Home which is a hospice facility and they take um people who are dying but they don't have anywhere to go and so we do these really, really fun events, but we ask people that, you know, you know, we try to partner with other nonprofit organizations to make it worthwhile too. So we're the nonprofit that likes to work with other nonprofits and give to That's other nonprofits so too. Yeah. It's like layers of for purpose. Yeah. Which I think is great. <laughs> How many events do you have like per month or however you want to break that down yeah and then how much of your time so you're working part-time at your side hustle mm-hmm. and then you're working this nonprofit. like how much time it sounds like a lot is I guess what I'm trying to it say it is a lot um I'm trying to figure out not necessarily balance but priorities um, I've discovered for me, balance is non-existent. Like I can't balance. I only have two arms. And so I prioritize. Um, and so I've started working in batches, which has helped me a lot, especially with my blog. Um, so like on Fridays, that's like my cooking and like pho- photography day. Saturdays, I write stuff, you know, sun, you know, so it, it's a, a, a batching type of day, um, type of week for me. It doesn't always work. I was about to say, how do you enforce boundaries? Because Emily and uh, I try this. And I know. Meetings get put on the schedule. And I know. You know what I mean? Like you dedicate this time and then if yeah. the only day a person can meet is on Fridays whenever you're typically yeah. cooking. Yeah, exactly. I, I, tr- I make exceptions to the rule if it's a chattery meeting in which like we have to do this. Like we need to, if we're meeting with someone who could potentially give us money, um, I will make an exception, but Jennifer is really respectful in that she knows that like Thursdays are my chattery days, but it's also my grocery shopping day. Um, but we try to just be respectful of each other's boundaries. And I think that's number one, it's setting the boundaries, but also having a partner that understands them. And so we try not to, um, overreach and she's about to get married in a couple of weeks. So there's a lot of like things that we're both trying to balance. Um, and it's, it's just a respect thing to be completely honest, but we make it work like today. Today has been completely shot to be completely honest. I mean, I'll be <laughs> like, I don't even know what I'm doing today. I t- like we took headshots earlier and that just like threw my entire day off. And so now I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> 
<laughs> tomorrow. It could be an impromptu self-care day because it sounds like maybe you've earned it. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So I would like to know if there's anything that you would tell anyone who's thinking about starting a nonprofit that you wish you had perhaps been told five years ago whenever you started the Chattery. Yeah, um, I I asked Jennifer this because I was like, what's your answer to um, And so I think... From the beginning, we did not make a plan that included paying ourselves. And so I would highly recommend whether you are starting a for-profit or a nonprofit, but especially a nonprofit, that in your initial planning stages, make a plan to pay yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, you have to put some worth to what you're doing. And if you don't, no one else, you know, how can you expect other folks to, to do it? And so that would be my main thing is to make a plan and pay yourself. And and it's okay, even as a nonprofit, it's okay for you to make a paycheck. And are there any resources for nonprofits or setting up a nonprofit? Yeah. So we went through a business called SCORE, which is an acronym for something that I'm not remembering. Um, but it's like, a society of like, I don't know, it's like retired entrepreneurs or retired, um, like C-suite level um, people. And so we went through them and they helped us do all the paperwork. I think SCORE is a national organization. They were super, super helpful. So if anyone is thinking about starting a nonprofit, look up SCORE um, because they're really helpful for us. Nice. And I do have to ask, we don't usually ask this question, but I feel compelled. <laughs> um, if anyone is listening to this, and I imagine especially in the Chattanooga area, what can be done to better support the Chattery or what sort of change would you like to see made to make your job easier? Yeah. Um, I mean, donations always help. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to keep bringing it back to money, but our, you know, the, the, we, from day one, even with that $100 um, donation from Jennifer's parents, we have paid the teachers that teach with us. So we have, we don't ask teachers to come and teach for two hours and volunteer their time. Do we have teachers that want to volunteer their time? Absolutely. And we love them. Um, but from day one, we have always paid our instructors for coming to teach a chattery class. So donations help us to continue to give into this economy here and continue to pay, you know, some of these people that teach our classes are artists. Some of them, again, are small business owners. So by us paying them, even though it may not be a huge amount, we're continuing um, that mentality that people should be paid for the work that they give you. I mean, it's the, I mean... <laughs> I, can't, I hate that in 2018, we still have to say, pay artists, pay your freelancers. But I mean, we I can't say it and then not practice it. So we do pay our teachers and donations help us to be able to do that, continue to do that. Wonderful. Also, what are you currently working on or what sort of new exciting things are coming up for the Chattery? Yeah, so we are always working on more and more classes. We're setting up our fall schedule currently. Um, but we're in the midst of figuring out like the holidays and like if we're going to do a holiday event and what that looks like. And even though it's September, we are already thinking about our adult egg hunt next year, which is going to be on 420. Yes. As it should be. Which we're like, oh man, how, how is this going to work? It's going to uh, be the most fun <laughs> egg hunt on the planet. So yeah, we are thinking about that and just 
we're working on brainstorming unique ways to do fundraisers, changing what fundraisers look like. We're tired of eating dry chicken at fundraisers. Like we're just tired of it all. So we are working on 2019 having, in addition to the egg hunt, maybe another type of fundraiser that um, obviously that aligns with our mission of just being fun. Um, So working on that and trying to find a new space for the chattery to live, which could be, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. Where can people learn more about the chattery? Yeah, they can go to the chattery.org, our website, which lists all of our classes. Um, We also have a form if you have an idea for a class or if you like to teach a class, there's a form that you can fill out. And um, they can find us at The Chattery on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm also going to shout out here that if you want to see Shawanda's website slash blog, (laughs) eatdrinkfrolic.com, there's some good stuff on there. (laughs) Thank you. Lots of cocktails. <laughs> That's why I'm so excited about it. Let's go make some cocktails. Y'all are friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyone who respects cocktails as much as Joanda does yeah. can be a friend of mine. And we're going to have some cocktail classes coming up soon with the chattery. So I'm very, a Halloween right, so one. Cocktails. What is your favorite drink? Ooh, okay. Well, it depends on what type of mood I'm in. When it's hot, I love a gin and tonic with some lime juice, but I also really like old fashions. Mm, that's um, you just right, you just got mine. <laughs> favorite yeah. cocktails, right there. I yeah, love I'm them. Fashion and Emily's a gin and tonic. Yeah. Gin and tonic all day. I've been <laughs> sipping on aperol spritzes lately, and those make me very happy. But yeah. They make me feel healthy. Yeah, like I'm doing good things for my body. Like I'm staying <laughs> hydrated. It does. You know what? I do feel like I'm quenching a thirst when I drink those. So like I'm essentially staying hydrated because of it. You're right. Done. I'm gonna make one tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And what makes you feel most boss? Um, what makes me feel most boss? Honestly, it's when I check off things on my to-do list, which I still actually write my to-do list. My husband is always like, why are you writing stuff in a notebook? Like put it on your phone. But I like to feel that like satisfaction of like crossing it off or like putting a check mark by it. So when I am able to mark something off my to-do list, I feel like I'm really, really changing the world there. With, with marking off my to-do list. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming to hang out Thank with us, Shawanda. I'm so yeah, glad so to nice dive to more into the chattery Yay. and nonprofits because I feel like we've been getting a lot of questions about these a lot lately. So there all you listeners go. Yay. <laughs> Hey bosses, I want to tell you about the CEO Day Kit. The CEO Day Kit is 12 months of focus planning for your business in just one day. So Emily and I have packaged up the exact tools that we've been consistently using for years that have helped us grow from baby bosses to the CEOs of our own businesses. Gain clarity, find focus, get momentum, prioritize your time, make better decisions, and become more self-reliant with the CEO Day Kit. Go to courses.beingboss.club to learn more and see if it's a fit for you and your business.
Thank you for listening to Being Boss. If you're looking for more help in being boss of your work and life, come check out our website where you can find episode show notes, browse our archives, and access free resources like worksheets, trainings, quizzes, and more. It's all at www.beingboss.club. Do the work, be boss.